let's get our Bibles open. And uh, we're going to open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. <clears throat> if you're not normally with us on Wednesday night, I would really encourage you to, to either come and join us. That would be the optimum thing. But if you can't make it on Wednesday night, maybe check out the podcast because we've been talking on Wednesday nights about uh, last, last year we did around this time a whole set of messages about the prophecies leading up to the Messiah. Isaiah 9 was one of them. Uh, but we, it was called Promising a Savior. But this, this year on, at, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a, a study on the prophetic words that were given around the birth of Jesus. So uh, when Mary uh, spoke both from her soul but prophetically as well, um, after, after Elizabeth, after she was with Elizabeth and John leapt up in, in Elizabeth's belly, uh, Mary began to say, my soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has done. You know, she, she goes on and begins to say these things. Um, and she's really drawing, uh, by the spirit, she's drawing from Old Testament scripture. It closely mirrors uh, Hannah's prayer, Hannah's praise, and, and uh, some of the Psalms. But as, as she's saying that, we've, we've also, uh, this week we're going to be moving into the prophecy that uh, Zechariah gave, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. But a lot of times we talk about the prophecies leading up to Jesus' birth, but you got to realize, like, when Jesus was born, the Spirit of God was moving on a whole lot of people. And there was some things said about Jesus as a baby that really affect us today. Uh, so we're going to study a few of those things on Wednesday night, and it really will tie in closely with what we're talking about today. But today I want to talk to you, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the idea of, uh, because it's a big idea in Scripture, of light, of the light of the world being Jesus Christ. And, and it matters just as much now, if not more so, than it did back then. We need this light in our society. We need this light in the world. And this light... You know, uh, I, I know that uh, if you've studied history, that there was an age where uh, science began to progress rapidly, uh, where some discoveries were made, and it was called the age of illumination. Illumination means to be filled with light, you know, to have light again. And it was, a, or the Enlightenment age, you've, you've heard that, the Enlightenment age. And uh, the idea was we're learning more, so we're being enlightened. But we know that that kind of light has, its, has real limitations, that kind of light is limited to our ability to understand something. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that, um, you know, that if by the wisdom of the world we could have found God, we would have found God. But we couldn't get there. You know, it's, it's like we're trying to take, we're trying to take, a, take our, our remote-controlled drone to, the, to Mars. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, you know what, NASA, I know you got some great pictures of Mars. Those are great. We love them. Been checking that out online. I hear there's sounds from Mars. Oh, that's great. But I got a drone. And uh, my drone's pretty powerful. It, and I've got some AA batteries in my, in my remote. I think they're going to last for a while. So I'm going to take my drone. I'm going to get some pictures of Mars myself. I'll land it right there. No, you don't, have the, you don't have the power to get there. The distance between your little baby drone and, and the lander that landed on Mars is, is I mean, not even comparable. They, they're, they're not in the same league. And that is just a fraction of the difference between what our mind is able to comprehend and perceive and what God is able to reveal. And you have to know, some people will take that and say, well, I can never know what, what God has prepared.
there for me. I can never know the will of God, but the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2 that we can know it's revealed by the Spirit. It's revealed by the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. You could never get there on your own understanding, but God reveals these things. There's this idea of darkness all throughout the Old Testament Scripture leading up to the, to the coming of the Messiah. This idea that is not just an idea, it's a reality. Just think for a moment, what would your life be without the sun? S-U-N, sun. Like that big glowing thing in the sky. What would your life be? First of all, your life wouldn't be. I mean, if someone raises their hand and says, we wouldn't be able to see, you would be dead. We'd be frozen, right? Life cannot be sustained without that, that big glowing ball of gas up there. We need it. Now, we, yeah, it gives us light. Yeah, it gives us heat. It sustains life. Now, that's just a small demonstration of what a, what a ball of gas can do. Now, think, think of what God is to us. Think of what, think of what his light is to us. It's even more vital than that, that sun right there. It's even more important to, to hum, humanity, to the earth, to all creation. We need his light. And the problem is, is that when we sinned, we separated ourselves from that. It doesn't mean there's not traces of light all around us. Because the Bible says in Romans 1 that even in creation, his nature, his character is revealed. God's fingerprints are all over this planet. God did not desert the planet. You know that, right? We know the earth is under a curse, but God didn't leave. God didn't say, I'm done. If God had deserted the planet, the planet would be destroyed. God left a remnant. God left a witness. God left his hand on this planet. He left his hand on humanity. But ultimately, he came to redeem what we lost. And he sent the son Jesus to buy back what we sold. And this is a powerful thing. This is, this is the kind of the crux of everything is that we would understand that that light did not come from within ourselves. You know, it's interesting to see how the messages of Christmas morph, right? How the messages of Christmas morph, how, how holiday, and you know the word holiday means holy day. So a holiday that's surrounding the birth of Jesus. Even though we know that, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, and we, we know the origins of that, still it's a wonderful time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. See, if we knew the exact day Jesus was born, can you imagine the people being born on that day, how, how much better than us they think they were all the time? <laughs> right? If you thought you were born on the same day as Jesus, boy, you'd be uppity. We don't know the exact day he was born. We kind of know the season through history, but uh, we don't know the exact day, but we use the season to talk about it. Now, we can talk in July about the birth of Jesus, and we probably should. That's not a Christmas thing. It's not a December thing. But it's interesting to see how, how our society approaches this season. And so you ask somebody, what's Christmas all about? Now, if you watch the Charlie Brown movie, you know. If you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, we know it's about Jesus. But if you're just watching something else, you just think it's about peace and love and, and family and friends and all those things. And there's an idea that's crept in because Satan is not a creator. He is a perverter, right? He can't create something new, but he can take something and warp it. And there's an idea creeping in that peace on earth, that goodwill to men, they, they take that right from the scripture, but that that's possible if we just look within ourselves and find it. I want you to know we could not look within ourselves and find what we need. We couldn't find it there. 
There's, there's, there's something we're going to talk about today, and it's, it's the title of this series, Light Has Dawned. It comes up in Scripture multiple times in the Old and the New Testament, the idea that light came from outside and visited us. Now, it doesn't mean that God left the earth, but it means that Jesus came to the earth to bring us something we could not find within ourselves. And I want you to see in Isaiah chapter 9, don't you love the book of Isaiah? Man, isn't it amazing that hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this guy, and he's just one of many, but, but Isaiah is so wonderful because there's so many different prophecies about the Messiah to come that Jesus lived out perfectly. Isn't it amazing that hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he is seeing these things. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that these prophets that were prophesying about Jesus, they finished prophesying and they're like, what did I just say? Who am I talking about? It's not like God gave him a secret and said, don't tell anybody, but his name is Jesus. He'll be born here. Like, Isaiah had to prophesy this stuff and then go, who is this? Is he coming in my lifetime? Is he coming in my kid's lifetime? You know, like, tell me more. But it says it was hidden to be revealed for us. And Isaiah chapter 9 says this. <clears throat> but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I love, this is some of my favorite words in the, in the whole English language. The people who live in darkness will see a great light. He's not talking about slowly and surely we'll move our way to light. We've been dark, but if we work on it step by step, we'll become enlightened. No, it, this, is, this, is a, this is an event, guys. Do you see the language? The people who are in great darkness, it doesn't say the people who are in great darkness through technology and education will eventually move themselves to lesser darkness. And then someday, if their kids go to college, they'll eventually get to medium darkness. And then, God, God willing, they'll move themselves to a place of mild light. Now he's saying they lived in a great darkness and they'll see a great light. Something's going to happen. There's an event. It's interesting that in our culture, all the movies about an event, a great cataclysmic event, they're always negative, right? The world's going to end. Ben Affleck's got to save it. <laughs> right? Zombie apocalypse. Even the word apocalypse. Apocalypse is a good word. It means revelation. But because people are freaked out by the imagery in the book of Revelation, they, it now means the end of the world, right? Like, oh, bad stuff is going to happen. And so, because our culture is aware they're in darkness, as much as we say we're in light, we're aware that we're in a place of darkness. You know, back in the 50s, you know, anytime they do a future exhibit, they do this wonderful future exhibit where you had automatic, you had like a robot butler, you know, you had the Jetsons. People were very optimistic about the future. It was like the future was going to be good. Now, think about every movie and story about the future in our, in our day and age. We're terrified of the future. The future is never good in the movies. It's always bad. 
It's a post-apocalyptic nightmare. And that's because people are aware, whether they know it, whether they'll admit it or not, they're aware we're not heading in a good direction. Something's wrong, something's broken. They can't describe what, but we are living in a great darkness and there's a knowledge, even though we say we're enlightened, even though we say we're progressing forward, even though we think history is on our side, the truth of the matter is there's something within us that says we have not found what we're looking for and we're moving further and further away from it. And I want you to know that there's so often we Christians get into the same mindset as the world and we actually revel in the downfall of civilization. Rather than saying we've been sent to turn the tide we've been sent as light we know the end of the story we know at the end the only thing that's going to make all this right is for Jesus to set his foot on the planet and make it right but we've been put here to bring light to dark places and he says here on them a great light they'll see a great light those who live in a dark land the light will shine on them not some light, not a light, the light will shine on them. So, spoiler alert, what are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus coming. Now, before we go further, because further is really good, I think we should go back a few verses. Go back a few verses, and let's find out what that darkness looked like. What was the source of this darkness? In chapter 8, He says in verse 16, <clears throat> Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children that the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Hang on. Which sounds a lot like 2018, 2019 to me. There's a group of people who are consulting spiritists and mediums. Phone the psychic. Talk to the person who says, I can talk to your dead grandma. They, they're looking for something. They're looking for answers in whatever way they can. So they're looking for spirits that aren't God, not, not the Holy Spirit, which you know, if you're going to a spirit that's not God, it is not the Holy Spirit. There is no other good spirit. Right? So, you know, I was raised, on the, I was raised uh, right next to the reserves. We did ministry on the reserves all the time. My dad was fluent in Cree, Ojibwe. He was more native than white by the, by the end of the whole thing. And uh, honestly, so a lot, of the, a lot of my friends and family that I grew up with were raised in, in native tradition, native religion. And one of the things that you had to realize when you came to Jesus is there is no nice little spirit of the bear or spirit of the wolf or any of that stuff. It's just a lying spirit that's disguised itself. And it'll seem like it's on your side. But you give yourself to it. We had a young man a, few, a couple months ago that came to me in Loon Lake. And, well, it was more than a couple months ago. It was almost a year ago. And he came to me in Loon Lake, and, and he was so oppressed and bound up. And he came because he said, I want to be free. But it was such a battle within himself because he had come and said, I, gave my, I give myself... Uh, to the spirit of the bear. That's my family. The bear protects us. At first, it seemed like a good deal. By the end of it, he was so oppressed and bound up by this spirit that he needed deliverance, and he needed it radically. Thank God God did that for him. But, you know, you could see that, that there's these people looking 
for something. And they're, they're, they're dipping their toes in the spiritual world. But he says, shouldn't people consult their God? What are you looking for these people for? Couldn't, shouldn't you consult your God? Then it says, should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Your grandma's not going to talk to you. Couldn't if she wanted to. Do you know what I mean? I know you love your grandma. I know, you know, uh, that you like to believe she's with you, helping you make biscuits. Do your Christmas baking. I feel like she's with me. She's not. If she was, that's a miserable existence. If she had to choose between being in glory with Jesus Christ and making cookies with you. <laughs> You're not that special. So why should we consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. What's he saying? Look to the word, guys. Get your Bible out. Uh, but that was written a lot of time ago. I need a word for today. This is a word for today. It's alive. It's active. It's prophetic. I mean, you should get just as excited about this when you read it. God wants to speak to you in your reading of the word. Get just as excited. If you need to have a friend that comes over and reads the Bible to you and says, Thus, I got a prophecy for you. Thus says the Lord. And, and this reads the word to you, then good. Do that if that helps you. But this is exciting stuff. Now, he's saying this as a prophet. So he's not, he's saying, here's the word, and I'm giving you something by the Spirit of God. But it is confirmed by the word of God. He says this. He says, to the Lord, to the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it's because they have no what? Dawn. They have no dawn. They have no dawn. Something, if they're not speaking according to this word, the light hasn't been flicked on in their hearts. There's something that comes up. And that's why when the light of God arises in you, I don't know, some of you came from religious backgrounds where you heard the scripture in your liturgy, but there was no light in it. Right? I've talked to some of you, and maybe it wasn't the church's fault. Maybe it was the way your heart when you went, but, but you weren't saved. You weren't even born again. You just did this on Christmas. You did it on, on resurrection. You showed up, and somebody read something you didn't understand, and, and you're just sitting there going, I can't wait to go home and eat. I can't wait to get out of here. There was no light in it. It was just dead. Do you remember what happened when you first received Jesus, and then you opened your Bible again? how it just came alive to you? <laughs> I want to tell you, man, I, I'm, I've been saved for a lot of years. I still, when I get my Bible out, I have an experience with God every single time. I, I, God, God is talking to me through this. I get so excited. Not because I'm learning something new. Learning is good. But God is speaking. This is alive. And, and the only reason that that happens is because there's a light that's dawned on us. It says they, it doesn't just say they have a, no dawn over them. It says they have no dawn. And there's nothing, there's no light inside them. There's no light. They have no dawn. And then it says this. <clears throat> they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. Let me put that in today's words. They will pass through the land depressed and discouraged. They'll pass in this land in drought and famine. They'll pass through this land in a state of anxiety and depression and not know why they have it. And they'll hope, if I just get the right meds, it'll fix it. 
the hope, if I just get the right relationships, it'll be better. But the truth is, what they're looking for is the light. There is no heat because there is no sun. There is no light because there is no sun. What they're looking for, they can't find within themselves. They can't find from their buddies. They can't find from these spiritists and mediums around them. It says they'll pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. So what are we seeing today? We are seeing people rebel against the authority of God and rebel against any form of authority because it reminds them of God. So they turn against it. And they turn their face up and they curse God. Now, they weren't even looking to God. I mean, it's just like you guys saying like, you know, pull up to the drive-thru at Arby's and say, you guys never feed me. You never give me any food. And the person at Arby's says, I've never seen you before. Yeah, well... How come you never give me a roast beef sandwich? Well, you never ordered one. Psh. You know, they're just mad. God, where have you been, God? I've been in the same place I was. Waiting, listening, speaking. So they curse God because of the, they're, they're, they're in this place where they realize that they're hurting, they're, they're broken. But they think God did this to them, so they're mad. They'll curse their king and they'll curse their God as they face upward. Then what will they do? They'll stop looking up and then they'll look to the earth. So here's the progression that we see. People go from a place of dead religion, dead religion, where they're looking for God, but they're not looking for God in the right place. They're looking for light, but they're looking for light in all the wrong places. If my voice was all here, we'd sing. <laughs> they're looking for light in the wrong places. And what happens is, and they consult the spirits, they can't help them. They consult all these things, they can't help them. They get mad at God, they curse God. And then there's a point where they stop looking up at all. See, I've had friends that went through this exact same progression. They went through the progression <clears throat> of wondering why in the world God wasn't speaking to them is because they weren't listening. Wondering why in the world they didn't have answers because they didn't go to the one who is the answer. Why they didn't know the way because he's the way. Why they didn't know the truth because he's the truth. Why they didn't have life because he's the life. And then they're mad at God. But there's something that's worse than being mad at God and it's not looking to him at all. They go from cursing God to just looking to the earth. In our society, people think the answer is we'll discover one more thing. Science will save us. Thank God for science. I like science, but science by definition, the word science comes from the word knowledge, what we know. If you haven't figured it out, we don't know enough, and we never will. Your brain power, as beautiful as it is, does not have the capacity to understand the mysteries of the universe. We're just understanding a small little splinter of it right now, like a splinter of a splinter. Scientists will tell you that. In fact, they've gotten to the place where they know that this could not have happened purely by accident. So the way to explain it is either I believe that there's a God, because if we were a millimeter this way, we'd all be dead. So either I believe there's a God or I believe there's an infinite amount of universes out there. Like there's a Jonathan walking the earth in a, a parallel universe that has a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I'm single in that universe, apparently, because my wife would not. <laughs> there is no evidence for parallel universes. Do you know what it is? It's code for this couldn't have happened by accident. 
but we don't believe there's a God, so there, there must be infinite amount of universes. It's just a way to explain something that can't be explained. So thank God for science. I love science, but science is not our answer. It's our seeking to discover answers. But listen, can I, can I ask you something? Because I thank God for logic and reason, and some of you guys are very logical and reasonable. How many of you would say you're a good driver today? Good driver. Put your hand up. Be proud. Don't be ashamed. Don't be modest. Good driver. All right. So all you good drivers. Now, I'm kind of troubled by the amount of people that put their hands up. <laughs> Can you just, can all you bad drivers just leave? <clears throat> Not now, but leave before I leave. Right? I'll just give you some time to get out of here, and then we'll take our. <clears throat> okay. So there's a, there's a lot of good drivers. Not as many as there should be, but there's a lot of good drivers. Now, you good drivers, what would your, re how would your driving be? I mean, I'm assuming you're saying you're a good driver. I'm assuming you're a good driver at night as well, right? Yeah, you should be. All right, what about on a cloudy night? Still a good driver? All right, good. What if your headlights aren't working and there are no streetlights? Not a good driver anymore, huh? See, no matter how much you've honed your skill, no matter how good your instincts are, if you are in complete darkness, it doesn't matter how much you've practiced driving, you're not going to be a good driver. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your driving skills need light to work, right? You need light to be a good driver. You don't just need training. You don't just need education. You don't need just practice. You need some light. That's why you turn your headlights on. One time, Brent and I and our friend Jay, we were driving to Macklin for a youth event. <clears throat> and we were in Brent's little, we called it the praise pulser because back then, everything was a spiritual thing. <clears throat> So our CD player said, seek, and we're like, seek, praise the Lord. <laughs> the seatbelt said, press. We're like, press, to God, Jesus, right? And eject, what's it, eject? Is that rapture? I don't know. So we're driving his little, his little T-top convertible Pulsar, Nissan Pulsar, right? It was an interesting car. It was cool. We loved it. But here's the thing. Um, in the wintertime, when you turn the defrost on full, you get two little holes that you feel like you're in a submarine and you're just looking through. Two little holes to look through. So, we, you know, we just made a game of it. You know, we, we, were, we were in a, uh, you know, a C-class submarine. We, the Russians were over there. We're looking, we're teenagers, we're having fun. And we're driving on a Saskatchewan highway. This is probably the wrong place to have fun. <laughs> So I, I don't remember which one of us recommended this moronic idea, but we were all guilty. Uh, we said, let's go in stealth mode. Headlights off. <laughs> it was stealthy. We, we realized real quick that was a bad idea. and I think Brent was driving, so he turned the headlights on, and right in front of us was a deer right there and we didn't hit it he slammed on the brakes and it just went right in front of us and we're all just you know you know that moment we have a close call and you pull to the side of the road and you just let your heart slow down for a while I'm like, Jesus help us we all just kind of looked at each other didn't have to say a word but it was kind of communicated we're never going to do that again <laughs> and we won't speak of this until 15 years later <laughs> well, more than that it's been about 18 
18, 19 years later when, when you're going to preach about this one day. <laughs> All of that, without a word, we communicated that. The series is going to be uh, Light is Dawn. Okay, I got it. <laughs> freaky moment. So no matter how good you're driving, you can't do it without light. No matter how smart you are, no matter how good your logic and your reason are, logic, reason, gifts from God. Your brain, gift from God. The gift to learn, gift from God. But without his light, your logic and reason will lead you to wrong conclusions because you're driving without light. Your skills mean nothing without light. So you'll discover things, you'll think you've learned something, like the blind men that are feeling the elephant and going, oh, the elephant is like a rope because he's feeling his trunk. The other guy's feeling his leg because the elephant is like a tree because he's feeling his leg. They, you know, whatever they're doing, their conclusions are based on a faulty understanding because they can't fully see it. Without the light, something's broken. He says, then they'll look to the earth. They stop looking to God because they're mad at God. Now they look to earth. This will fix us. And behold, what will they find? Distress and more darkness. The gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. <clears throat> On that cheery note, chapter 9 begins with this word that we read. But, but, the story's about to turn. The story's going to turn. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. I don't know if you recognize, but Jesus was raised in the ghetto. Jesus was raised in the bad neighborhood. Jesus was raised in a place you shouldn't raise your kids if you can afford not to. But the land that was treated with contempt, the land of gloom and anguish, he says, I'm going to make it glorious. Why is it going to be glorious? Because the light's walking through. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. They will increase the, you will increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. Remember the gloom of chapter 8? Can I tell you something? When chapter 9 starts with but, we know that this is not a different prophecy. This is not two different prophecies Isaiah gave. This is the same thing. So in order to understand chapter 9, we have to know the gloom of chapter 8. We now have to know the darkness so we can appreciate the light. He says, you're going you're gonna to increase their gladness. They'll be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. You're not going to win this battle with your methods. You're not going to win this battle with your weapons. You're not going to win this battle with your armor. Go ahead and burn it. God's going to fight for you. In chapter 6, for a child will be born to us. Here's why there's going to be light. Not because the world will suddenly re realize we need peace on earth. Because we can't get there. We've tried. But a child will be born. Isn't that a weird idea? The world that makes no sense. What's going to fix everything? A child? A baby? 
A baby can't fix anything. If anything, a baby is just one more thing to worry about. No, a child would be born, not just around us, not just in our city, but born to us. A son will be given to us if they only knew when they heard this that, that was the very son of God would be given to them as a gift. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful doesn't just mean really good counselor. It means there's a beauty about him. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Peace is not coming from us. It's coming from that light. It's coming from the, the light that's visiting us. It's coming from that sunrise on high. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God is so zealous for his people. He'll get this done. I want to read you some quick fire verses here that have to do with this. Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. When John the Baptist was born, Zechariah prophesied about his son. These were the first words in nine months he'd been able to say. <laughs> Can you imagine? Being shut up for nine months, being mute for nine months, and the first time you open your mouth, it's prophesying. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> it's worth the wait. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. This is in Luke 1, 67, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. He has visited us. And he has accomplished, accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give people the knowledge, his people, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Listen to this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. After 400 years since the last prophet stopped talking. Doesn't mean God wasn't speaking. But it's been 400 years since a major prophet stood up and spoke the word of God to the nation. There's darkness. They've been under oppression. The Seleucid Empire's ruled over them. They had Greek rulers like Antiochus who sacrificed a pig in their temple. Then the Romans took over. And the Romans take more taxes from them than they can pay. The Romans treat them like they are not even second, third class citizens. They oppress them. They've been in occupied territory for generations. It's dark, it's poor, it's broken. They're living in a land. Can you imagine living in a place where it's described about you, a land of great darkness, the shadow of death? That's, that's your city. That's your town you live in. And he goes, sunrise on high will visit us. 
to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You can't find the way, the road of peace without the guide, without the light. I'd like to give you some homework. I'd like for you to study Isaiah 59. Because my goodness, when I read Isaiah 59, I feel like I'm reading the newspaper. I'm going to read you just a little bit of it for a minute. Isaiah 59 starts with the verse, the Lord's hand is not too short to save. See, in Isaiah 9, he told us a child would be given, redemption would come, and then we're left without the answer for a while. Been a bit until Isaiah has another prophecy years later, I'm assuming, sometime later. And he begins to talk in the servant songs about this servant, this redeemer that's coming. 44, 45. By the time we get to 53, 54, we're seeing a picture of Jesus dying for us. Then in Isaiah 59, he's back again with the understanding that society has gotten broken. Verse 9, he says, Therefore justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope along like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we're like dead men. All of us growl like bears and we moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressors, transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth is stumbled in the street. A brightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. It's interesting, we live in a society right now where we expect politicians to lie to us. We expect corporations to lie to us. In fact, we expect everyone who we admire to lie because it's part of the game, it's part of the job, it's part of the business. If someone turns away, they're an idiot. Guy says, I just want to be honest. I'm just going to speak the truth. We don't like that guy. We don't like these people. I'd love to have a politician that I can admire because I, I like the things that I see in Jesus and I see that in a politician. That's pretty hard to find these days. We can say it's just in politics, but it's in every part of society. Truth is turned back. Justice is far. But here's the good news. The Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. 
He saw that there was no man, and he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for his clothing. He wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, he'll repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will make recompense. So they will fear, they will stand in awe, they will respect and honor the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rise of the sun for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives a redeemer will come in Zion I love that picture of Jesus don't you love that picture of Jesus not just slowly creeping into the picture but as a I mean here's how he describes it here he says he will come he will come like a rushing stream that the wind of the Lord is driving. I bet if you lived in Galilee in a dry land, and you lived in this place, and I mean dry spiritually, you live in a place of darkness, you live in a place of gloom, and Jesus comes on the scene through his ministry, you might have thought that there was a stream, a rushing stream that you either just enjoyed and swam in or you got swept away up in. But it came through and the Spirit of the Lord was driving it. He says here in verse 20, that a redeemer will come to Zion. Someone's going to buy us back into those who turn from transgression in Jacob. I want you to know that's you. You turned from transgression. And as for me, this is my covenant with them. Who's them? Those that have turned. This is my covenant with you, word church. This is God's covenant with us. My spirit, which is upon you. My words which I put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Why is that important? Because Jesus was not meant to be the only source of light. He is the light, but now his light is shining in millions of people around the world, and it's not coming from within their own sense of righteousness. It's not coming from their own personal piety. It's coming from Jesus. The light of the world. I want to close with this scripture. In the book of Mark, the book of Mark tells us he goes to Galilee. When we read the same story in Matthew, he says this, that that is the land. This was to fulfill the prophecy that he went to the land of darkness. The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. Matthew tells us this was the moment when Jesus stepped in and started his ministry in Galilee. This was when the great light was shining on the ghetto and the dark place and the gloomy place and the dead place. Mark tells the same story, but I want to read you what he says. He says, after, Jesus had been taken into, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, fulfilling the prophecy that was given hundreds of years ago. It's now. And here's what Jesus says. And here's what Jesus says to you. And here's what Jesus says to our city. And here's what Jesus says to our nation. And here's what Jesus says to your friends that you work with. Here's what Jesus says. Here's how light comes. Because the Bible says that the God of this world, little g, the devil, has blinded the eyes of those that believe not so they would not see the light of the gospel. 
What's stopping us from seeing light? Because light came, guys. There's no reason to be in darkness anymore. Light has visited us. Jesus came. Bible says in John 1, he is the true light coming into the world. When he comes into the world, he will enlighten every man. Suddenly the logic God gave you comes alive. Come, suddenly the reason, some of, suddenly the emotions, suddenly everything good that God put in you that's been in darkness and perverted and warped now has light. See, we don't deny our emotions anymore. They submit to the Holy Spirit. That's right. I got zeal. That's not a bad thing to be zealous. It's the zeal that God put on me. I wrap myself up in a mantle. I, I, my joy drives my laughter. I've got joy that shouldn't be here. It comes from God. So now my emotions are redeemed. My logic, my reason. You see, oh, I may have tried so hard to find a way, and I keep crashing into buildings and crashing into, and, you know, driving into the ditch and driving off a cliff. But now the light I have dawned in me. The light has dawned on me, and now God uses that brain to glorify him. I can worship God with my mind. My body, I was a slave to it. I did whatever I wanted. I did whatever felt good. You did whatever you felt you, cravings you needed to satisfy. But now, now my body, my hands can be used to build what God is building. My feet can be used to carry the gospel. My mouth to proclaim the good news. See, what's stopping us from seeing light? It's not that light needs to come again. We don't need to say, God, send your light. Light has come. What do we need to do? What stops us from seeing the light? It says, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not. Jesus said, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. See, here's, here's what we do. We flip that around and we say, if I see, I will believe. But God says, if you believe, then you will see. By believing, the light comes in. We are flooded with light. That's why Paul prayed that I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you may know these things. What are the riches of his inheritance? What are the glory? All of these things that he's promised. You got to believe so the lights can come. The light can come. He says here, he comes into the ghetto. He comes into the dark place. And he begins to preach. And he doesn't say, repent, you bunch of dirty, grimy, slimy people. He doesn't say, repent and put on sackcloth and ashes. He doesn't say, repent or go to hell. Although, it's kind of the implication. He says this, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus came to announce good news. The Redeemer has come. Light has come. Salvation has come. And here's how the light comes on in you. Here's how you receive the light. You don't go on a great quest to find it. You don't have to climb a mountain and bring fire back like some sort of born-again Prometheus. But we don't need to pray that God would come again. We don't need to pray that Jesus would come again. He's coming again. He's coming again. But that's not where the light, that's not, that's not the first time people are going to have to see light. He's, he sent the light. He left the light here. That's why Jesus goes in the Gospels from saying, I'm the light of the world. And he begins to say this, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. He says, I put you on a lampstand so that you give light to everyone that's in the house. What is our house? What is your house, friends? 
Your job is your house. Your city is your house. Your friends and family are your house. Those are the people. Listen, when he says give light to all that are in the house, he's not talking about our church. Our church has light. We should have it at least. If we don't, God help us. Because we got people full of light. So if our house, what's our house that needs light? Your house are all those people that God put around you. Jesus said this in John 17. See, I told you there's one last scripture I'd turn to, but I can quote as many as I want. <laughs> Jesus said in John 17, I'm not asking, Father, that you take them from the world. Because that would ruin the whole point. But I'm asking that you would keep them from the evil one. I want you to know today, light visited us. The world's not going to find light. They're not going to find light by consulting their spiritists and mediums. They're not going to find truth or peace by looking to science. They're not going to find it by looking to self-help books or positive thinking. They're not going to find it by looking to any source but the God of light himself. You can't replace the sun with a flashlight. That's what the world's trying to do. But we carry the gospel. And the gospel is the means of enlightening every man. Because John 1 says this, the light came in the world and it enlightens every man. And the Bible tells us that in John 1 that how we receive that is by believing. He gave the right to all that believe. He gave the right to be called the children of God children of light. So let's stand today.